G'day guys, CB here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Chewing the Fat. In this episode, JY and I chew the fat with online PT and social media influencer, Sophie Allen. We chat about the growing world of online personal training, the Train with Soph community, how to grow an online following, dealing with negativity, the responsibilities of being an influencer, how to know who to trust, mental health, body image, and more. Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you haven't already, and you can find us on Instagram at chewing the fat underscore podcast. So please give us a follow. We really appreciate it. Hope you enjoy. Let's go. G'day guys and welcome to Showing the Fat with CB and JY. Today we are thrilled to be joined by the lovely Sophie Allen. G'day Soph, how are you going? Hey guys, I'm going well. I'm currently up in Sydney at the moment, so I'm just loving being in the sunshine and having a little break from Melbourne, so things are good. Brilliant. Um, well, so we've uh, obviously got a bit of a bit of a connection. You are, are a client of mine, and that's how we got to know each other. Um, for those who don't know, you are an online personal trainer who's doing absolutely brilliant things with a community called Train with Soph. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what it is exactly that you do? Yeah. So um, obviously, yeah, we met when I got injured and um, I was, you know, looking for a good physio to help with that injury because I'd been sort of struggling with it for a while. And then you pretty much fixed me in like three weeks, whereas I'd been struggling with this injury for a year. So that's big props to you for that. Um, But I, yeah, I'm an online coach, as you said. Um, I got qualified as a PT oh gosh, I don't even know, a few years ago. Um, and I've built a online presence and community called Train With Soph where I deliver training, nutrition programs, and it's all online through my app. Um, it's a global community, which I really love. And basically it's really about empowering women and making sure women don't make the same mistakes I did when I started out because there are a lot of those. And I suppose it puts you in a really weird place with, how you feel about your body and, um, you know, it can be really difficult, the things that I went through, like bodybuilding, I'm sure we'll we'll get into that and rebounding. So it's all about helping the women like build lifestyles and sustainable habits and a life that they actually enjoy rather than super restrictive, crazy diets and fads. So that's what I do at TWS. That's sort of the main thing. And then a lot of social media stuff on the side. Brilliant. Nice, Soph. So one of the things that, you know, people speak about most when it comes to online coaching is the flexibility that one has with the job. Um, Do you want to give us an insight into the general day for you and how it looks? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting, you know, when you, you consider PTing, like the traditional sense of PTing and online coaching, because I actually am one of those people that never PT'd in person. So my background is, you know, I've got a degree in architecture and marketing, and then I really fell in love with fitness. So I don't have that comparison um, to be able to make. And, you know, depending on who you speak to, some PTs in the industry really dislike that about, uh, we'll call them influencers. (laughs) Um, But you know, it's it's really great to be able to have the flexibility of being online. And, you know, right now I'm in Sydney, like I said at the start, so I'm able to work from wherever I want and, you know, when the world's open, be able to travel. And it's, um, you know, you can structure your days the way that you want to, whether you block out getting all of your check-ins done. If you're a one-on-one coach, getting all your check-ins done on certain days and then you've got the day to create content or do other things. So, For me, because it's not necessarily like one-on-one coaching, it's, you know, helping thousands of women around the world. It's very much like your typical kind of, you know, nine to five, depending on, you know, who you speak to in my team. Um, I work, you know, quite a lot of hours just because that's the nature of having your own business. But um, I mean, if you want to get into specifics, I can, I can take you there. (laughs) Absolutely. No, give us a rundown. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, my days do vary a lot. That's something that I sort of strive for when I went out and started my own business. I really like 
variability and flexibility and freedom. So they're the things I really wanted to create within my business. I, um, you know, I'm very particular about my morning routine and kind of setting up, setting myself up for a really productive and successful and focused day. Doesn't always happen. You know, you get distracted with your phone. I really try to sort of put my phone on airplane mode and hide it like behind my computer. So I'm not getting stuck with something and being like, okay, I'm just going to like, you know, distract myself on my phone and check social media. But I'll wake up. I'm really into like breath work and meditation. I use an app called Headspace. So I really like to sort of, um, that just helps me like manage thoughts and anxiety that come up from, you know, stressing about the future and things that are going to happen and just, I, I guess, remain centered. It's actually, it's something that if there's a, one thing I could get anyone, everyone to do, it would be exploring meditation. Cause I think it sounds pretty like woo woo and, um, you know, people have a certain perception of it, but it's actually helped me so, so much with my mindset, um, thoughts that come up, managing scenarios like interpersonal relationships. It kind of extends beyond just the self. So that's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, what else do I do? I might go for a walk. If I'm up here in Sydney, it's really nice to go outside and get to Bondi, maybe go for a swim, um, have my breakfast and stuff. And then I, have this rule where like it's no phone or work or anything until 8am. Like I really need the morning to just sort of be with myself. And obviously there are times where, you know, you have to, and it's a really busy time at work, but I try to get all that done um, before. And I like to, yeah, jump into work around eight, post on social media and then sort of go train around mid morning. And it's mostly just like emails and managing um, the few people that work for me and, you know, the days really vary. It could be like a content day where I'm filming stuff for either Instagram or YouTube or TikTok. And it could be planning any campaigns we're working on. And I'm currently working on another project, which is taking a lot of my focus um, and time, but, you know, it's all exciting. It's all growth. So yeah, I guess that that's kind of sort of a typical day. Brilliant. It's um it's interesting to see or to hear the fact that you didn't actually train clients in person, like you weren't a you know in the trenches PT as they say, and like you said, there's people in the industry that sort of don't like that. And I suppose um, from what I can gather so from from our conversations, you're you know you built your brand, you built your community, you built Train with Soph up um, through your, you know you probably your influencer status on on the socials, whether or not that's a term that you sort of resonate with or not. Um, you do have an incredible amount of followers on Instagram. I think it's up to three hundred and sixty thousand or something like that at our last counts. Um, so it's really interesting to see that sort of journey where you've gone from um, building up this this community and building up this. Um, you know, this brilliant platform and app for, for thousands of clients that can access that globally um, and the reach that you can possibly have with that compared to working one-on-one um, with the client at a time. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on, I suppose, the advantages and disadvantages of online personal training compared to face-to-face, you know, as I said, because you can, you do have this widespread reach where you can influence such a vast amount of people, but, you know, you can still cop a bit of that criticism where, hey, you haven't actually been a one-on-one personal trainer. Like, what's all that about? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think you sort of, you know, you mentioned that you're able to reach a lot more people and have a greater impact. And I suppose everyone gets into it for different reasons and has different sort of passions about being in the industry. I know a lot of trainers, you know, they're extroverted people and they love helping people one-on-one and being really hands-on and seeing that transformation and the growth that you see a lot of clients go through Um, and then there's people like me who are actually quite introverted and I actually prefer um, helping a lot of people from afar Um, and there's obviously so many perks to like I said at the start being able to travel and plan your time plan your schedule block out like your check-in times and just impact more people as well as focusing on the content side where like you said I've got you know, a really big following that I'm able to leverage and reach more people. And of course, that's going to open yourself up to criticism and hate. I think, you know, the people that sort of feel that way, I mean, this is a blanket statement, but there's probably a lot of resent resentment and jealousy because perhaps they are holding themselves back from being public with their knowledge and their education because they kind of 
lack that self-belief. So they see the people that are doing it and think, oh, I'm actually more educated than you. I've been in the trenches. I understand this is sort of my area, but you're out there doing it and you're not qualified enough to be doing that. I think there's a huge responsibility with anyone who is qualified at any level to be aware of the information that you're putting out and be able to 100% back that and understand that. And if you don't, be able to reflect and be open to that criticism and hopefully it's constructive and you're able to make some changes with that. I mean, I've received heaps of hate. I look back at some of the stuff I was saying at the start and because there was that wave of like cancel culture that came through where people were really calling people out, whilst I don't support that, I think it was a really good shift in the industry because people became more accountable to the stuff and the information they're putting out and realised oh, I actually do have a responsibility here because it's really easy to sit behind a screen and not see the impact you're having. So you need to be really mindful of that and, yeah, ensure that you're actually putting out solid information that you know is backed by experience anecdotally or, you know, literature and research. Yeah, no, it's a good point. There was that period where, you know, Instagram had just begun and we had a lot of um, fitness influencers who were starting to get quite a large reach of general people and, they almost didn't, there was no repercussions for any of the information that they gave out. And I think um, I mean, Lane Norton was one of the first ever to sort of bring in that uh, that calling people out sort of culture. And I know like there's been times where even I've posted on Instagram, I don't know if it's the same with you, Chris, but things that other people don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be, it can be quite tough sometimes then to follow that up and want to continue to post and post and reach people and it almost, you have to be a bit thick skinned. Um, I don't know if you, have you had any sort of specific examples of times where you may have, you know, had a, I guess, not not a blue, but uh, have someone call you out and uh, did it affect you? How did you bounce back from that? Yeah, absolutely. There have been <clears throat> so many different, you know, scenarios throughout my whole time on social media, which has been, you know, five and a half years now. And at the begin in the beginning where I wasn't educated, like I, you know, I had my cert three, four and didn't know, you know, you don't really learn much sort of, you don't get much substance out of those certs. So, you know, I was kind of posting stuff, not really sure. I was lucky enough to be, you know, I've always ensured that I've invested money in good coaches so that I've been able to learn through them and through experience because I really think that's kind of the best way to do things. And by even that's for us. We love a shout Anyone? out. So give us some shout outs for those coaches. Oh, well, I'm currently um, with Jacob from JPS. So I'm learning, you know, a ton from them because they're super big in their education. I'm also doing um, their mentorship and a previous coach um, from the female transformation formula. His name's Ewan. He's also a really good friend. They have an online business and they're absolutely killing it. And then even just seeing, you know, like Chris, who is helping with physio, like he obviously knows a hell of a lot. So we collaborate and do a lot of content together. And that's really good for me to be, you know, teaching my audience and I'm learning in the process. So I think that's really important. So when, you know, people would come up with hate, I'd go to my network and be like, oh, this has come up. Like it's actually a learning opportunity for me because I obviously thought, this was right and now I'm second guessing myself what do you think so I think you know it's really important to back yourself when you do anything but also having that network around you to sort of bounce things off who you know they don't necessarily think the same way as you because I think it's really important to have to be challenged to be able to grow but I think you know some people will come at you from a sort of educational place and be like oh that's actually wrong I would actually prefer someone dm me because it's like are you just doing it for clout to like create noise and get attention or do you actually care that I'm putting out misinformation that could potentially harm someone because you know that's the worst thing you can do is harm someone affect someone negatively but you can't control how people are going to perceive the information you're putting out like I feel like so many things I put out I have to I feel like I have to caveat 50 things I'll be talking about, I put a, put up a recent reel and it's like how to get a flat stomach. And that's obviously clickbait. Um, and it's talking about, you know, being a calorie deficit. And I didn't caveat, this is for fat only because people were like, oh, I blow, oh, I'm pregnant, I have PCOS. And it's like, I'm, you yeah. know, I'm, <laughs> oh, 
You can't caveat every single thing. I think it's just important to sort of go in with the best intentions and then also be open to getting hate and knowing that it's it's not personal and everyone's getting it too. It's not just like you're the only person in the world that's receiving this and people are always going to have different opinions and that's a good thing and you can learn from it and you can use it. That's not to say there are times that I get it and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm the worst person. I'm so dumb. I'm going to, I'm not good at this. I want to quit social media. Like I have those moments so often as well. It kind of just depends what headspace I'm in and how much I'm, how confident I am in what I've said. So I think if you're too cautious and careful and scared of saying anything, then you're literally not going to do anything. So it's not a reason to not do your work because you're worried about what people may or may not say. It's interesting you sort of touched on that, that that responsibility aspect. You know, you do have such a big following, which means you need to be on top of your game, right? Like you need to be constantly developing as a professional and learning every day and criticizing, you critiquing your own work and getting better and better. Um, and I know, you know, knowing you and knowing um, what you like as a person, so if like that's that's who you are anyway, you know, you value that ongoing learning and um, you're passionate about what you do, but it's like having the influencer status and having so many followers, it almost has that extra responsibility that you need to be doing that rather than putting out misinformation. Yeah, definitely. And that's something that I've grown over time. Like if anyone's listening to this and being like, oh, I'm not like that. I wasn't initially either. And then, you know, your passion grows and your knowledge grows too, because at the start, it's so overwhelming. There's so many things to know. And then you're like, I don't even know where to start. And then you just kind of start and you get better at things and you see how much it's helping people. So that's really what you focus on. But like, you do need to be on top of your game in whatever industry you're in, if you want to be the best at what you're doing. So that's, you know, one thing that sort of drives me, but yeah, there, there absolutely is a responsibility. And like I said, you know, it's kind of, it can be hard to see that sometimes because whilst you are held accountable by comments people make, and if someone tries to sort of call you out, you're not necessarily held accountable face to face, or there's no board that sort of, um, oversees anything you do that you're accountable to. So it, it comes down to the individual's integrity like you see so much crap out there there's so much bullshit there's so much stuff that people so easy easily believe and it still baffles me how you know the media and these companies and certain influencers sell stuff and I think it's a really interesting space because there's a lot of pressure if you're an influencer and you're earning income from promoting products it can take you down this path where you're sort of promoting stuff you don't necessarily believe in because you're reliant upon that income and people trust you. And then it's sort of, um, it, it brings that, tr- it, it removes that trust because you're just sort of promoting everything, which is why I've built a business off it that focuses, that doesn't focus on collaborations with brands. It focuses on just promoting the messages that I believe in. And I think that's, you know, a way that I've really been able to stay true to my message is by building something that's my own and not just promoting brands and products and things because I need the money. I think people get really stuck in that scenario. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I think something that a lot of our listeners are going to want to know, Sophie, is how did you actually build your following? You know, as you've got an incredible amount of followers. Everyone starts with zero. How did you actually go about that? And what, what made that successful for you, do you think? So Instagram is a really interesting place. Um now compared to when I started. So when I started back in, you know, the end of 2015, it was really quite, it was a new platform, new-ish platform. Um, The algorithm wasn't even, there wasn't even an algorithm at that point. So things were chronological, meaning you'd post at that time and it would be at the top of someone's feed. It was really easy to get reach because it wasn't as saturated. Um, And it was really just about like looking good and people would just follow you. So at that point, it was very much like, Um, if you got reposted on a bigger account that had a big following, you would get an influx of followers. So back when I started, I was doing um, Kayla Itzinas' guide. Like I just sort of started working out from home. I saw a lot of amazing transformations and I was like, oh, cool. I'll, you know, that looks like it works. I used to look in the mirror and hate what I'd see. So I was like, I just want to make a change and this seems to work. So I'd do it. And then I decided you know, I was so inspired by those women who were sharing their transformations that I was like, you know, it would be really cool. Like if I could be the reason someone starts, like if I could impact just one person, 
that would be so cool. And that was just all I wanted to achieve. So I just started posting what I was doing and like the workouts I was doing. And I got a pretty good transformation and Kayla shared it on her page. And that's sort of what took me from, you know, a couple of hundred to 3000 pretty much overnight. And there's not a lot of accounts you can get shared on these days where you'd get 3000 followers. Um, And the community was also really supportive. Like they'd all kind of follow each other. It was very much this sort of cult community. And then from there, I sort of realized, you know what, the goals that I have for me and my body extend beyond like home workouts and sort of circuit training. I think, you know, I think I actually need to like go to the gym and lift some weights. This was this sort of light bulb moment for me. So the journey changed and progressed, but I was always really true and authentic to myself. So I think now with the algorithm, I'm not going to say it's harder to grow because if you have really valuable content and it's helping people, it'll get out there. Obviously, virality and creating sort of things that people really resonate with really helps, particularly right now as we speak on Reels. It's, you know, a newish feature to Instagram. Any new features, they push a lot in the algorithm. So if you can like focus on anything new they drop, that really helps. But it's, I suppose it's just about, continue like continuity like being really consistent because you know there's one side to it that's trying to understand the algorithm which literally changes by the minute and then there's the other side which is just staying true to the content that you really like to create you get joy from creating you see that it's helping people and you're providing some sort of value to encourage people to follow Um, and once you sort of build that up and continue sort of getting into your groove with say Instagram, you can then consider diversifying across different platforms. Like I've been on Instagram for years and it can be really difficult because sometimes it performs really well and other times it doesn't. And it can be really difficult not to feel disheartened when it doesn't go well. And so diversifying on something like YouTube, which I did, and then now I'm on TikTok, they really complement each other. Um, that's not to say, you know, overwhelm people and say you need to be on everything now because that's, you know, if you're not focusing on one thing, you're going to do three things poorly instead of one thing really well. So I think go all in, be consistent, be creating content that's educational or helpful, adding value to people's lives in some way to encourage them to follow you and just showing your personality. Like I laugh at myself a lot. I post jokes but I also post really educational informative content and I think people really like to connect with people so they like seeing the face they like seeing being able to connect with your personality and you know stories are really great for that so they would be my top tips but I just think just starting like using the excuse of oh it's too hard I'm too far behind like you're seeing there are accounts blowing up every single day um and you just have to focus on the long game and be consistent yeah, cool. Really good tips there. So if I think the thing that stood out to me there is you're saying you just got to be real. And that's something that I know about you is you are just very real on your socials. You're just yourself. You, you know, you're just a person. Um, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of influencers go down the other thing that, you know, their social media persona almost is completely different to who they are in person. Whereas for you, it's just you. Do you know what I mean? I think that's really refreshing. And I think that's, you know, something that builds a lot of trust with your audience as well. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to touch on today and hear your thoughts on was the fact that, a lot of people look up to, you know, influencers on social media and the larger they're following, it's like, well, they must be really, really trustworthy. So, you know, the way to the knowledge that all the content that they're spreading, someone people that are influencers with really big followings, um, people say, okay, well, that must be worth a lot more and that must be correct. Whereas people spreading the same information that may be, you know, potentially even better or more accurate with a smaller following, they're not trusted as much. Um, so, yeah, as I said, I, I think from my point of view, and you might have a different opinion, I think people that are really real, like you obviously are, so on your socials, it's it's something that, you know, we can sort of take away as a consumer a lot of trust from. But, I mean, how else to, to consumers know in your opinion who to trust and who not to and how much, you know, the numbers of followers you have actually equals, you know, proper content, proper knowledge, proper information? Hmm. I think it's a really good question and conversation to have because I think there's an onus on the creator, of course, to be putting out valuable content. But like we said, there's no body that ensures people are putting out, you know, accurate information. Um, So I think there's a huge onus on users to actually not necessarily do their research, but 
but just be a little bit more like savvy about what they're listening to. And if it's something that you're really, you know, wanting to do, like if you really want to lose fat, I feel like we all know that things like juice cleansers and skinny teas and stuff don't work, but often people that are wanting to lose fat are really sort of in a a dark place or a really desperate mindset and they kind of want a quick fix. So I think consumers are getting really clever now, actually. Like in the beginning, it was like, oh, this influencer's posting about this brand and no one would really talk about brand collaborations and the fact that Instagram's brought in, um, you know, you have to write if something is like an affiliate link or an ad or whatever. People have just become more, um, yeah, savvy across what's real and what's not. So being able to tap into that sort of, I don't know, um, gut feeling where you you look at someone and you're like, okay, I I don't think that she grew her ass with her booty bands. I actually think she went and got some surgery. <laughs> Um, and it's about making sure you're following, you're being really mindful with the people that you are following, um, you know, surrounding yourself with people who refer to studies or people that have got experience or people that have client testimonials, like that's, they're the best ways to know if someone really knows what they're talking about and following the people that have actually like, or checking out the people that have actually had the transformation did they just get the transformation through like gutting their calories and doing a shitload of cardio and like starving themselves? Where are they at now post-transformation? I think it's really important whether you're looking to lose fat, you know, a little bit of fat or whether you're looking to compete because that's probably one of the best ways to tell if a coach is sort of worth worth what they're saying or not is how the person's going after the transformation. Mm. Um but yeah, just, you know, we can usually tell by listening to someone if they actually know what they're talking about. And you, if you connect with someone and someone's personality, I think that's a really good way to sort of, yeah, gauge. But at the end of the day, you, you never really know for sure. Someone could be like come across as the realest person and then, I don't know, be slapping their name on some brand just for the sake of making a quick buck. And it, it can be really difficult. I don't think there's one clear answer, just doing a little bit of your own homework and seeing, you know, if what they're actually talking about resonates with you. Yeah, I like that as well. Um, something else I'm curious to ask you, Soph, um, a bit of a question without warning. So we had a guest on an earlier episode of this season of Chewing the Fat, Lyndon Purcell, who spoke a lot about the fitness industry. And we asked him if there was one thing he would change about the fitness industry. It's that people, the number of followers that people have on social media would be like muted or would be not there. Um, so similar how Instagram and Facebook have taken away, you know, you can't see how many likes a certain post or a photo or a video has got anymore to do that same thing with the number of followers people have so that we can, as consumers, be a little bit more selective with who we're getting our information from and, you know, not necessarily going, well, this person has a million followers. They must know exactly what they're talking about. Um, I'm curious to see your thoughts on that as someone who obviously has built your name and your brand and, and your business and what you do on your following. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on something like that? So, Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I think the reason they took likes away was more from a like um, mental health perspective. A lot of people, you know, there's a lot of research out there about the negative impacts of social media on people's mental health and sort of self-perception of themselves. And it can get people really down if they're not getting likes or if they're comparing their likes to someone else. And you know, it comes back to us being able to step away from comparison. I I definitely don't see Instagram removing that because I feel like, you know, they're onto something. They're a business at the end of the day and they're making money off people having a following and an influence. And it's really changed the landscape of how small brands and anyone can really like blow up a business just by like tapping into a few different influences. Um, I think there's always going to be personalities that people sort of are inclined to to following and because Instagram's so visual, people will see a body and instantly relate, oh, she knows what she's doing because she looks a certain way. So I think that's why the education side is really important and why it's really great to see a different sort of wave coming through Instagram where people are focusing on like different body shapes and sizes and saying, um, getting people to question what health really means and, yeah, just challenging the status quo. I think... You know, I don't think necessarily think everyone would see, oh, this person has heaps of followers. They must know what they're talking about. I think they'd probably just be like, oh, this person's, you know, got a lot of 
followers, you know, they, they might be an interesting person. They must, you know, they're popular for some reason, not necessarily because they know what they're talking about. And it's hard to say because as someone who understands the industry and the information, I can see, you know, someone's account and you can spot from a mile away whether they know their shit or not. Um, I think that Instagram tried to do that with the verified badge by being like, oh, yeah, this person is verified and has a blue tick. But I think, you know, I've got a blue tick and I'm pretty sure I got it before I was even qualified. So it's got nothing to do with qualifications. I think it's whether you've had like media coverage. So, you know, if you've gone viral or if you've been in the Daily Mail and like a lot of us have been in the Daily Mail, it's not hard to get in there Um, if, you know, if you've got a few followers on Instagram. So I suppose, yeah, circling back to the question, um, it would be a very interesting world if we didn't have that number. And it's interesting, the psychology behind the importance people place on that number, because at the end of the day, every single person is is exactly the same in terms of a human life. Um, But there are, you know, people that have more interesting lives or look a certain way that people sort of aspire to be like and for that reason they get a follow um i think like i said you know at the start it's just about coming back to your integrity and thinking about the kind of impact that you want to have on people and how it makes you feel at the end of the day because i know people applaud me for being real but i'm like i don't know another way like i couldn't jump on here and be like oh yeah this is i don't know this i say I lost weight if I'd be like oh I'm just you know I was drinking a, a juice cleanse I don't I don't know I, I'd literally say I can't even think of something to lie about but it's like I don't know how to not be myself on a social media platform um or ever so the people that do I don't know they're the ones that sort of need to do some inner work I guess mm. JY, you told me a juice cleanse is a great way to lose weight. Is that not true? Um, we've got a whole episode on how great they are. Oh, really? So I know you're on <laughs> right now. You've been, uh, yeah, you've been enjoying. Which one are you on? It's the uh, the celery. I love celery. The yeah. celery cleanse, yeah, that one. <laughs> you love celery? Yeah, I've heard that's good. <laughs> yeah, no, 10 out of 10. Yeah, right. Okay. We might need to talk about this a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Back to the serious stuff. I, I liked a couple of things you mentioned there, so about um, comparison and, you know, the whole removing likes thing because people compare and, you know, a lot of young people these days and probably as a blanket statement, females more than males, they they do value a lot of their self-worth on, you know, how many likes they're getting on their photos and that's their validation, you know, and you mentioned comparison and, you know, comparison is the thief, uh, thief of joy. Is that, Ooh, the, is that the quote? That is the quote. Well is that done. The quote? Comparison is the thief of joy. I was wondering whether you'd bust that out. That was... Um, and we're we're very wise on this podcast on showing the fact um but in all seriousness i'm interested to see how you go yourself um balancing you know mental health um with your physical health and how you go about sort of coaching that with your clients because like you said a lot of your community are young females who you know probably aren't feeling great about their body they're not feeling great about themselves they're comparing themselves to others and they want to change so there's a big yeah i suppose responsibility and management aspect of mental health when it comes to that as well as just physical health so yeah what are your thoughts on that so and how do you go about that personally yeah i think I'm so guilty of being someone that falls into that comparison trap. Um, I think anyone would be lying if they said that they hadn't ever felt that way because we are in an environment where we're able to see into people's lives more than ever. You know, think about 10, 15, I don't know, 10 years ago when you had no insight into how people, what someone's house looked like from the inside. Now it's sort of just the norm with how social media is. So it's become very easy to compare. And I mean, I couldn't imagine being a younger generation kid growing up with that throughout their lives. And maybe it's a really good thing because their parents are going to be able to help them, like lead them through that. And they're going to be able to deal with these issues head on, you know, pretty quickly because our parents, you know, have no idea. Like my parents don't even know what I do for work. I I literally can't explain it to them. (laughs) Um, So I think, you know, awareness with literally anything is the key to being able to make a change. And that's why I'm really passionate, like I said at the start, about meditation because it really brings you back to your the sort of conscious, like the stream of thoughts that you have that are very not conscious. Like there's 
so many thoughts that we have in a day and there's that rabbit hole you can get trapped in on social media. Like I have to pull myself out of it a lot. Like I said to you guys, the start, I don't check my phone before 8am, but sometimes I do. And I'll literally be scrolling. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Put your phone away. Like you've got shit to do, but you just look at this stuff and you're, it, it's just sort of there, whether you're consciously comparing yourself or not, it's there. Like, you know, how someone else is doing their fitness routine or what someone else is eating or how someone else's business is going. Like I've unfollowed every single business that is quote unquote, a competitor to mine, because I just feel like it blocks my creativity and it's, it's not the way I want to think. Like I want to think differently and do things my way. Cause I think there's so much power in that, but I absolutely get stuck in comparison. And I think more so um, body image stuff for a lot of people. So a lot of people look at, yeah, what people's bodies look like. And I guess that's how I built my Instagram because people wanted my body. And then now it's about being like, guys, you could literally do the same training and the same nutrition and you would not look like me. Um, so I really like to talk about it because it's something that has affected me mentally a lot. I know it affects a lot of my friends, a lot of my clients, And it's a really good conversation to have because sharing those vulnerabilities and those struggles is what normalizes it for a lot of people. And then you can show people that there is a way to sort of navigate that and it doesn't have to be your entire life. And it really is just about curating your environment. Like we, we don't have control over a lot of things, but we do have control around some things and some things include the environment we're in and that's not just you know our physical environment but our media environment so who we choose to follow um are we following accounts that inspire us that we kind of you know are feeling motivated by or are we following accounts that we want to look like but no we probably can never look like and don't want to do the things that we have to do to get there and it makes us feel shit every day because we feel like we're failing And you're looking at someone else's goals instead of your own. So you really have to come back to what's important to you and what's driving you forward and what habits are you doing to get you there. Um, If people unfollow me, like I'm literally not offended because I'm like my way of living just isn't for you. Someone else's is. And it's all about, you know, yourself and what helps you and what works for you. So I guess they're sort of my main things. I spend a lot of time off social media when I'm feeling in a, anxious sort of comparison headspace I'm sort of like okay I need to do some things that make me feel really good whether that's calling a friend or reading or journaling or like doing a bit more work and being a bit more productive with my day or going outside for a walk in nature or training like getting more sleep drinking more water I kind of know when I'm in more of a reactive comparison state than not so yeah it's just about being aware of those things and knowing what what you can do to change that because you do have control over those uh, reactive that reactions, I guess. And circling back to your points on mindfulness and meditation, like that's where you can really put it into practice and that's what helps you build those skills to be able to, um, you know, cope with that. So I really do like, and we'll definitely um, in the show notes, put up some uh, resources, but it's like, it, it is such a powerful skill to have. And it seems like one that you've, you know, spent a lot of time working on and have, got a pretty good uh, system in place so yeah and I think as well um normalizing you know seeing someone seeing a psychologist or something like that I'm a huge believer in seeking help when you need it my sister's a psychologist I've seen so many in my time and I think it's stigmatized because people are like oh you see a psychologist when you're like a bit messed up in the head it's like, yo, like we're all messed up in the head. <laughs> like we, we all need help. You know, you go to a doctor if you've like broken an ankle or whatever. Like why can't we go to a psychologist if we're feeling a little bit broken in our heads? Because we can have so many thoughts and not know where to start. And seeing a psychologist who is educated in this area is so beneficial to give you the skills and tools. And even if you're not going through something heavy, like some sort of I don't know, depressed patch or a breakup or family breakdown or whatever it might be, it's still really good as like a maintenance to sort of navigate through your thoughts and feelings with someone who's totally removed from your life and they're not going to have biased sort of ideas or any sort of, yeah, like bias towards what they think you should or shouldn't do. So I really like, you know, seeing a psychologist and whenever I talk about mental health on my Instagram, I always preface by saying like, I'm not a professional, like this is not my area. 
please like see someone if you feel like that's something you need to do. And I think that goes back to what we were saying about um, how do you know if someone's like legit or not? I think if someone has the sort of ability to, to refer to people that they know knows more than them, like Chris, I'll always tag you in any stuff that's like way beyond me when it comes to training in the body. And I think that builds more credibility with your audience if you're able to be like, hey, I don't know, but this is someone that I trust and I go to, that's only going to make you look better. It doesn't actually detract from you. And the same goes for collaborations. Like I love that we collaborated together, Chris, because it was really great for my girls to see a lot of the content that you did. And I'm sure, you know, it was good for you to sit down and do that content and, and hopefully get some exposure from me as well. So it's about sort of building relationships with people and and helping each other rather than being really self-focused and like, well, how does this make me look? Um, think about the impact you're having on people rather than just, you know, yourself and your brand. It's, um, it is a bit sad that there is still this stigma, like you said, about seeing a psychologist and, you know, you if you're going to see one, you messed up in the head or you're severely depressed or whatever. And it's like, well, no, that's not the case. Like everyone's got their shit. Um, and the same as what you said, like, you know, you're not necessarily an expert in mental health, but it's something you deal with every day and also coach, you know, women about. Um, and the same with James and I, you know, we're by no means mental health experts, but you know, where we see the impact that mental health has on the physical health of our clients literally every single day. Uh, we've done a couple of podcasts in that space and just being really proactive, you know, with, with that part of your health, I think is, is so important. Like you said, you know, whether it's mindfulness or meditation, whether it's taking time away from social media, whether it's, you know, going to see a psychologist, having those strategies in place to be really proactive is so important. Mm. It's like, you know, we wouldn't, you know, not do exercise until we're, you know, overweight and um, have coronary artery disease. Yeah. Like we're proactive with that every day and people understand that we need to be proactive with our physical health. But, you know, it's so good that these conversations about mental health are a lot more common and prevalent. Like we're having these more and more in the last couple of years and I think that's awesome. But we're still not quite at that stage where people are super proactive with it as a whole. Um, so it's really cool to hear you say that, that you've sort of got those plans in place and, um, yeah, you're doing all those things. So I think that's really cool. One thing I always think is cut sad is there's a handful of people I know and even just, you know, as recently as the last fortnight, they sort of, you know, we speak about how everyone's traveling at the moment. It's been a big year for most people. And they sort of almost accidentally blurt out that they're seeing um, a psychologist. And it's almost like someone who you've been so close with for so many years, you didn't even know that they were doing that. Not that you need to know or anything, but they couldn't feel like they could tell you that. And I think that's really, really sad. And we, again, we have discussed it before, but yeah, that, that proactivity to being able, you know, or to stay on top of your mental health, just like you would with your physical health is, is so important. So yeah, that's um, both of you guys. Good points. Really good points. Yeah. And I think, you know, mental health is difficult because you can't see it. Yeah. So yep. with physical stuff, you know, if you've gained weight and you associate that to unhealthy habits, like binge eating or not moving because you're feeling really shit. I mean, that kind of is a manifestation of poor mental health but you can't see it as clearly as you might see and become aware of, oh, hey, I've gained some weight. I'm just going to reflect on the habits and the lifestyle I've been living. Is there something I can change because I actually don't feel very healthy? Mm. Whereas with mental health, it's not something you can sort of point out and be like, oh, you've got really, you know, your people around you can probably see different behaviours and patterns in the way you kind of show up. But because you can't see it, I think, again, that's why it hasn't been as recognised and it's taken so long for this stigma to kind of go away. But, yeah, mental health is something that I'm really passionate about, being someone who has suffered from, you know, series of, like, depression or states of anxiety or just really negative feelings and seeing how many people I, I chat to go through the same thing. And that's why I just freaking love weight training because that was one of the things that helped me become a more confident, assertive, sure person. Cause I started doing things that I absolutely didn't think I could do. Like I couldn't do one push up, like, you know, pretty much everyone who starts out in their fitness journey. I couldn't do a push up. I could barely do one on my knees. I was just this like skinny weak girl. And then I just have this vision in my head of I would like get on the floor in front of the TV and like bust out 10 push-ups on my toes. And I was so proud. And then I became super confident with my work and like I was meeting new people and it just like filtered out into every aspect of my life. And now 
getting strong and striving for strength is just it's something that whenever you don't think you're able to do something like people who don't think they can grow on social media and then you start doing it and then you get that positive sort of reinforcement that if you put in the work it actually works and you're capable of more things than you know I think yeah that's a really important aspect for mental health for me as well and I think that um that focus from you know body composition which is why so many people get started in the fitness world to performance like you said getting strong lifting weights um doing you know 10 push-ups or being able to squat a certain amount of kilos or whatever i think that is so powerful for for so many in in their fitness journey and especially females who there is that stigma that you know if i, if I lift weights i'm going to get bulky and i'm going to get muscly and all that sort of stuff which unfortunately people believe um we've touched on it a bit but i, I want to hear if you don't mind um going into a bit more detail about your just personal experience with body image so if and i said you know, i know you've sort of mentioned that that switch to performance and strength training is something that's really really helped um but yeah just a few thoughts if you've got them from your own experiences about you know body image in particular yeah so i mean like pretty much everyone i've spoken to my journey started from self-hatred and looking in the mirror and feeling really lost and confused and not liking what i saw and letting that affect my confidence and i feel like again now because social media has become so big and there are a lot there's a lot more diversity in the types of bodies and shapes we see represented and gaining followers you know which i suppose is a, a tick to the the earlier conversation about having followers because at least there are accounts that previously wouldn't have been that um encouraged as much because of the media and everything and now getting a lot of airtime and respect and, and helping so many people so um, yeah, I think being exposed to, to the differences is a really positive part of social media compared to the negative, which when I was starting, it was all like super skinny models and stuff that just for my body shape, that was just not ever feasible. Um, so I sort of went through this journey of losing weight and, and getting into my fitness. And then I was in an environment where um, I was, you know, I was like a gym rat. I was obsessed with how I felt when I went to the gym. I was training like six days a week and I was tracking all my calories and my macros. And I, I was actually not making a lot of progress. I was losing heaps of muscle. I was on way too low calories. I lost my period. Like I was getting really bad skin. I wasn't sleeping properly, but I actually had no idea that any of that stuff was happening because there was no education and there wasn't much guidance for the coach that I had. And I was like, what the hell's going on? And then when I regained a lot of weight from just quote unquote eating normally, I was really confused. Um, and then I went into another dieting phase with a different coach. And that was when I was in the environment that was, you know, everyone was training and that people were competing and competing became like really cool, like social media really glamorized competing. And in my mind, it was literally, these are my words, the next logical step, because I'm someone who's very passionate about growth and continuing to grow and expose myself to new challenges. So I was like, oh, cool, this just this is the next thing I do to keep progressing, because I was never focused on performance-based goals. I was just focused on aesthetic goals, looking a certain way and the pressure of you know being on social media and getting the positive reinforcement from people following me because I looked a certain way. I was like, cool, let's continue this narrative. So then when I competed, I, I developed a really negative relationship with food and with my body. I was someone who could follow their calories and macros and meal plan to a T and never second guess it. And then when I, it's funny, I started understanding more about nutrition and it actually became harder because I was like, oh, I can fit this in. And I came, became very obsessed with being able to fit things in and, and flexible dieting, but not necessarily in the way that it is, it can be beneficial. So yeah, I would sort of cheat on my diet a little bit and feel really guilty, but I still got super lean and, you know, I did my competition and then no one spoke to me about what you do after the competition, which again is why I'm so passionate about this with my girls, because everyone can sort of tell you the principles of weight loss and energy balance and movement. And you can sort of do that. If you're someone who can stick to a plan and be consistent, then you're going to achieve it. But then what you do afterwards to maintain that. And when you've experienced all the sort of negative adaptations from dieting is where the real work comes in and where the habits you've built 
need to be aligned with the lifestyle you can actually live long term because if you're doing things like cutting out food groups and not eating things that you actually enjoy and you're actually not really enjoying how much cardio you're doing or the training sessions you're not getting strong you're not building muscle then what kind of longevity does that have and that was something that was just missing for me and so I rebounded and I I still had a really poor relationship with food and with myself and I, you know, I didn't even gain a bunch of weight. Like I still, in hindsight, looked great, but my uh, level for leanness was now bodybuilding competition lean, which is so unrealistic and so unhealthy. And I lost my period again and I, I wasn't performing in the gym and yeah, it just wasn't good. So then I've even since then, I've gone through years of trying to figure out what works for me. And I think it's always an ongoing thing because there are so many different phases in our lives. And, you know, particularly for women who I personally haven't had kids or anything like that, but there is that stage of life that you go through. And, you know, I don't think your body is ever going to respond the same. And even with aging, you know, things just change and become um, a little different. And then there's women who experience PCOS and endometriosis and so many factors that affect the state of our body and how it might respond to something. So it's been a really huge journey of figuring out what lifestyle I actually want to lead and what health really means to me and trying not to associate that with an image, like a a specific body image or a weight or a size or a clothing size or anything. It's more just like a feeling. And that's why personally and I get my girls to focus so heavily on their performance in the gym which is why it was really difficult for me mentally when I was recently injured because Chris you'd know like how that day that I lifted like 90 kilos 100 kilos in my deadlift I like you couldn't wipe the smile off my face I was like oh my god I I haven't done this for over a year and you know I gained weight and I felt horrible about myself and that's just been a whole other journey for me to go on and learn from and grow from. And I've actually become a way better coach from these negative experiences because now I understand my clients when they go through that and I can go through it and show women that you can still love and respect yourself no matter what you look like because, you know, it's about how you perform in the gym or how you feel mentally and emotionally or what you're like with your friendships. And it's been great having a a support network like you guys and, you know, my coach Jacob and, going through this with the right people is really important. But, you know, if I could just go back to the start and do it the right way from there, then, you know, that would be nice. (laughs) My body would like me a lot more, I think. So the funny thing is that you mentioned like those negative experiences. And I think like, in my opinion, some of the best coaches um, are the ones who have, you know, had a lot of time with those negative experiences if, it, if everything just went well then we you know we talk about in the coaching sort of spectrum that um experience is a key pillar it is you know such an important part of um educating our clients and trainees if everything's just always going well there's no you don't know the contrary so it's very hard to help people you know when they may go through those um periods so you know i think competing for example um the best coaches aren't necessarily the best competitors and uh you know uh, yeah I, I think that's such a good point that you touch on there and that's so. where empathy comes from right? yeah exactly um exactly. Like from my point of view you know if i see a client and they've got an injury that i've had and i've actually felt that pain before like you know i might actually be perfect in terms of learning from a textbook exactly what i need to do to help a certain person yeah. with a certain condition but if i haven't actually felt that pain or that injury before it makes my life a lot harder and i suppose yeah without putting words into you know the mouths of youtube but from coaches point of view people that have been through that people have been through shitty you know body image and people have been through you know you both competed you've both been competitive bodybuilders and you get to that stage and it's like oh you've got a photo and you look great and um you've got your fake which is what i did it for that's literally what i did it for and the funniest part is that the best things i got out of it were the afters where my life like fell apart for about a month or two so no that is that is a good point and i also i one thing i'm a massive fan of are female specific coaches like yourself so i think you know i see a lot of guys out there trying to coach females and trying to you know it should treat them like small men and it's just it's completely wrong um it's i i find if i get um so i find i get very frustrated sometimes when i see um blokes trying to advise women in you know ways that 
just it just don't make sense they are it isn't specific to the case so you know yeah yeah I think as well I think there's a lot more conversations being had about you know training nutrition being different for women because we have cycles to consider and it's something that there's this mentality that I don't know, like old kind of bodybuilding mentality or before, you know, a lot more of the research and education came out or the fact that so many studies are done on on men and not women. But people would just sort of um, have this mentality of like you're not dedicated enough or you just have to try harder. And I think that is so damaging for women. As someone who does have endometriosis, like sometimes training is the last thing you want to do when you're like in bed, literally crippled in pain, unable to move. And to have a coach that just says to you, oh, like, you know, what can we do differently so that you can get to the gym? It's like, um, what can we do differently so I'm not feeling guilty, not training, and then having you to answer to who has no idea of what this actually feels like. And it's about working on a specific coaching plan with that person in that time. And that's actually one sort of limitation with what I do as a coach because it is at scale and it's not that one-on-one custom sort of thing that that factors in oh okay so you know once a month you're in crippling pain so let's just you know drop the load if you can train or if not let's change the style of training or let's just go for walks in nature and really focus on sleep and rest and recovery which is why I'm very passionate about education as part of train with Soph. so putting out video content and getting professionals on like Chris and I as I said did collaborate on you know, one of the main things is people struggling to activate their glutes and bringing out content where people can actually learn and feel empowered to make changes themselves rather than relying on someone else because someone might necessarily join my coaching and stay with me. I mean, they're not going to stay with me for their whole life. They're going to go through different stages. But if they can leave with the knowledge of, oh, hey, that's actually, I didn't actually realize I was able to change my training or maybe time a deload with my period so that I don't feel like shit, you know, once a month. Now they've got that skill that no one can take away from them. So that's what I'm really passionate about. And I think there are some fantastic male coaches out there that really understand that and have pioneered, you know, the differences between like Lyle McDonald, you know, is the one that came out with a lot of the information around training around your cycle and the the fact that we can, train women differently to men. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's a really important point. And it doesn't just, you know, it's not just male coaches that are like that. I think there are female coaches that maybe don't understand that as well and, and put a lot of pressure on people. But I think a lot of people are getting smarter about it and, and putting out the right information. So that's really good to say. And it's probably, from my point of view, one of the advantages of, of you as an online coach is that you can focus on that education a lot more, which you probably almost, you know, in some cases might not have enough time to if you're dealing with a client one-on-one and you've got a half an hour session and, you know, the first five minutes is how was your weekend and then you're warming up and then you're doing your exercises and, you know, you're just putting weights on the bar and they're getting a sweat up and they might, you know, not, not that any of those things are bad, but like I think the most important thing that, you know, you guys both need to do as, as coaches and that you do so well with both of you is educate your clients, right? And that's something that, you've got the luxury of time and, and your platform to provide that. Whereas, yeah, I think if anything, like that can be lacking a little bit in one-on-one coaching. Mm. So having um, an online platform, really cool. yeah, having an online platforms, like it's one of the best ways to be able to spread your message, not just to your general um, demographic, but also to your individual clients. And I think a lot of young coaches, especially when they start, they think of the session to session sort of um, coaching system rather than it being, you know, I hate calling it, the 24-7 sort of, you know, coaching model, but you're always trying to help educate and push and, you know, um, teach your clients, not just, you know, like you said, putting weight in a bar and um, taking them through legs. It's more about like, you know, explaining to them, well, you know, coaching is multifaceted and these are all the things that, you know, we're going to work on through the coaching and that's not just in the session. Yeah, Yeah, and I think there's a lot of things that one-on-one PTs can do to facilitate that and, you know, once you start, everything's so full on. You're, you're kind of just figuring out how you program and mm-hmm. what sort of software or Excel spreadsheets you're using to communicate with your clients and what your boundaries are. Because I think a lot of PTs or anyone when they start a business doesn't set boundaries because you're so eager to succeed and you want to be there for your clients. But 
you know, I've been through burnout myself and I can't help clients if I'm burnt out. So they're, you know, really important boundaries I've put in place. But if people want to consider how they can do that, they can still have their one-on-one training, put in their boundaries of when clients can and can't message them or just say, you know, message me whenever, but I'll only get back to you within this time period. And it teaches the client to be a bit more self-sufficient and less reliant on you. But then on the side, like you said, having some sort of online platform, which these days are not expensive or hard to come by and having some, it could even be a Facebook group where you're like, hey, join this Facebook group. It's a small community of, you know, the the 30 clients or however many I see. And I upload like a live Q&A answering your questions. And that's just like a super simple way to do that and just expand the content you're doing. And then you can repurpose that across your Instagram or your TikTok or your YouTube, whatever it might be. There are so many ways to do that and be really clever about what you do. So if there are any sort of fresh PTs listening to that and thinking like, oh my God, these guys are like shit canning one-on-one PTing, but that's what I'm doing. It's like, no, no, it's a really good place to start. And if it's what you're passionate about, it's a really good place to be. But there are ways to support yourself, you know, by doing the, the online stuff alongside it. And then maybe you become a blend of both. And then maybe you go all in online and you can do eBooks and like there's, Get get me chatting about business planning and strategy and I'll go on forever. But there's a lot of things people can do to, um, you know, upskill and, and make sure they're helping more people if they want. Definitely uh, not shit canning one-on-one PT, but it's... Uh, no. <laughs> it is cool to see the differences and have these conversations. Yeah. We'll hear the pros and cons of one way and here's the pros and cons of the other. And the path you choose to go down is the path you choose to go down and each to their own, right? We've got to do what we're passionate about and what, we work, what works best for us, mm. both from a professional point of view and from a consumer point of view. So I think, you know, seeing both sides of the story um, is really cool. Maybe we do need to get you back to do a whole uh, a whole other hour on business strategy and and all that sort of stuff. So I'm not going to complain about doing another one on that. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> but actually just one thing to mention too, another limitation of um, doing it the way we do it and doing it online is obviously not being able to see people's technique. You know, people can send videos, which I encourage all my girls to do, But there's only, you know, so much you can sort of see from one angle or two angles of a video at like a poor, you know, way that they've filmed it. There's, you know, seeing something in person is much easier to correct and sort of coach people through. And that's where one-on-one PTs come in really handy. Like I'll tell my girls if the cues I'm, I'm not I'm giving you are not helping, then go and see a PT in person or go and see a physio because it could be something beyond just your technique. Like your technique could be limited by some other sort of impairment you've got going on. But that's something that's really great about one-on-one PTs. You can like really make a huge impact and set someone up for success long-term because if people get their technique locked in early, straight away from their first session, they're going to have such an easier lifting career than a lot of us who start and just do everything wrong and end up with injuries down the line because they've, you know, repeated that pattern over and over again. And it wasn't a good pattern to be repeating. Now you have to unlearn that. So yeah, yeah, I absolutely love having a one-on-one PT. I think it, it has taken my training to new levels and we need people in both worlds. Mm. And it can be hard sometimes, like you touch on the technique, it's, you know, you've got to, uh, say a squat you've prescribed twice a week there might be three four days before they do that squat again you've re- you know gotten them given them feedback on the um on the lift there's a few days that go by before they complete it again or potentially a week and you know it sort of does get a bit difficult to actually coach physically like that so like we said before having a network of people you might have a you know a coach that you can send people to to work with technique and you know work in conjunction with so that's a great point um, I think this has been seriously a brilliant chat. So I hope you've been very generous with your time. And I think a lot of our listeners are going to get a heap out of this. And um, as I said, there's probably, you know, probably just scratching the surface on all these topics, which are so important, all things we've covered today. So, um, you yeah, know, there's so much more we can go into it, but I, I do really appreciate your time. Um, one last question that I'm a little bit reluctant to ask, Soph, because it's a really important one. And I actually am pretty sure that I already know the answer. Um so if you can leave us on this, where do you put your tomato sauce, fridge or pantry? I'm nervous. <laughs> um, I'm a fridge gal. That's clapping, by the way, if anyone's listening. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not on YouTube. I feel though, like Chris clap. hates me. Is I, he I, I, every compliment I've yeah. given you so far, I take yeah. them all back. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm pretty sure it says it on the bottle that it's meant to go in the fridge. It is surprising that all the bottles are wrong, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what? We can do this live right now. We can do this Let's live. end right. this argument once and for all. This is a first. This is chewing the fat first. We are here filming in my kitchen. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not denying that it says it on the bottle. It does. It's just the bottles are wrong. I've obviously gone to the fridge to get the tomato sauce out, which is where it should be. We can read on the back here. Chris, do you want to do the uh, the honours of where it says storage there? Can you read this out? I, I, can't, I can't read it. I'm not sure. All right. Uh, so I can't, can't make out the words. So Chris can't read, but it says storage after opening, keep refrigerated. Yeah. So just, we're, we just, we're rule followers. That's, that's what we do. But don't you like, say you're having something hot, don't you like the contrast? It's like cold and refreshing and. For hot no? food, absolutely not. Like that contrast is horrible. I don't understand. There's one exception to that rule, and that's like warm, like apple pie and ice cream. Like as a dessert, the contrast, yes. But for like savory or hot foods, no. Why would you want contrast, mate? Dude, <laughs> with, this is an exclusive. It says on the bottle, keep in the fridge. So oh. for the sake of health, and that's what we all are here. We're advocates for health. It's if it says storage, keep in it doesn't even say you can keep refrigerate, it says keep refrigerate. So, where else does it go then, mate? Such a positive episode that's ended on such a negative note. But I think this has been a great finish, <laughs> and I'm very happy. It's probably been the best finish we've ever had to uh chewing with that episode. So, thank you very much, Sophie. No worries, this, that's what I'm here for. Uh, Chris is giving me absolute daggers, but um, <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> You guys need to put a poll up on Instagram and ask the question because we, we, need, we need the people to weigh in. It's probably um, come to that time. We're, uh, yeah, we're, we've, we've asked this for all of our guests on season two of the Chewing the Fat. I think the tally's about even, but by the time it comes to the end of the season, Don't we'll have an actual official leaderboard and we'll see what the real answer is then and we'll let the people decide. They can, um, they can have a vote. That'll be like, that'll be the deciding vote if it's even. Actually, question, have you tried it refrigerated or is this all conjecture? Every time I come to JY's house, I have to eat it refrigerated. Okay. All right. Well, that's all right. At least you've tried it. Right. <laughs> um, no, I do really appreciate your time. So if you've been absolutely excellent, it's been a pleasure to chew the fat with you today. So thanks so much for your time and, uh, and keep doing your thing. You're doing brilliant things for the industry. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye.